Well, welcome, and uh, thank you for being here. And I uh, would like you to open your, the Bible with me in the, um, Hebrews chapter 11. Sure that you have opened your Bible many times <laughs> uh, since yesterday in the book of uh, Hebrews. Uh, so that's where we're going to focus our attention again uh, this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, to which he was committed as righteousness. God as righteous. God committed him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could, he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he com- condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in the foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him at the same of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as as the innumerable grains of saints by the seashore. These are all, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking the homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, had, he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, as he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it, had, it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the heads of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of, of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkling the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. By, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because he had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what shall, what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of, of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign army to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went back, they went out about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended to their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided, had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So this is our text, and uh, I would like to uh, uh, propose that uh, we. That's my paper is stop. <laughs> um, that we looked at the uh, historical context of the book, and um, before we looked at, we delve into it. So my, my plan is to really like go through the book, um, look at a little bit of the structure quickly, uh, because the book talks about the uh, what we call the heroes of the faith, and we want to look into what that really what this what these chapters say about these heroes. And then we're going to pick one of them um, to, uh, as an example. Uh, but there is a, an exhortation in this book that I want to draw out later on. And this is really the, the gist of what I want to share with you. I'm not, I'm not going to say it at, 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 at the point, but you've got to bear with me to go. At least I need to do justice to the text and walk through the text with you <laughs> first before I, I talk to you about why I'm choosing that, that text based on our subject. But by the way, before I go further, the engine of revival, faithfulness to the gospel and waiting, I may, you know, address some of the words here, because uh, I really wanted to be more faithful to the text that I want to choose than trying to force that title into, into that text. Uh, and faithfulness, as I read it here, is not about uh, preaching the gospel faithfully uh, per se, but more to uh, to uh, live out of faith. Like it's more like the persevering 
phase that we want to cover here. And uh, while we wait, there is there are things that the Christian uh, and also leaders, I think, there was more words for leaders here than uh, uh, in what we want to see here, how to live out that faith as, as, as Christians. So, as we know, uh, the epistle was probably written to Jewish Christians at the time when they were expelled from, from Rome on one hand and rejected by their own people on the other hand. Some of them may have not been allowed back to the temple and they were treated like Gentiles, basically. And other people also say that this book also could be written to uh, Gentile Christians. So the way that they, they see that, well, the author uh, could really address them because they were attracted by Judaism, so the word also is addressed to them to, to not go there. Uh, to embrace Judaism. So there are two views of how you can read the book, but the point is that the author never said like exactly to whom it was written, and we don't even know the name of the author. Some believe it's Apollos, Silas, Paul. But at the end, I don't think it really matters to, to get into that level of details here. So uh, nevertheless, they were they needed to be reminded that Christ and Christianity were worth their sufferings and loss. So the aim of the apostle is to kind of show that their allegiance to Christ and Christianity is far better than everything they've abandoned, such as their Jewish standings and traditions. He also does that through warnings um, that there is a danger in abandoning the faith. So that is, not considering Jesus in his work salvation is very, uh, it, it's critical. It can be uh, uh, deadly, basically. So, the way that he went about doing that is that he developed his argument by contrasting Jesus with the prophets, the angels, and Moses, and Aaron, and the high priest. He also compared the two covenants and, you know, the uh, earthly and spiritual tabernacles and a lot of other things that he did. Uh, uh, in his argument. And uh, so, if you look at the first 10 chapters, 10, 10 and a half chapters, it, really they address that. They are about presenting Jesus as the better uh, covenant. It, it's the better priest. It's really the something better than. Um, and uh, the chapter 11 and 12 is rather a call to patiently wait for the promises of God. Um, it's the last part of 10, but we start with 11, 12. And chapter 13 to me is really, now while you're waiting, how do you act while waiting, basically. Uh, so, uh, but before we even get into chapter 11, I want to read a few verses that is prior to chapter 11 and after chapter 11. Uh, so, Chapter 6, verse 11, 12 talks about, um, says that, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And uh, chapter 10, verse 12 to 13 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool. So again, we see that 
he's trying to, to, to make, he's going to get to the to, to his point, but he also mentioned that Christ himself is waiting. Um, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us continue to hope again because Christ is faithful. And uh, verse 36 said, we have, we have to endure and uh, that you may be re- receive what is promised. And he made reference to Habakkuk, uh, really the quote from Habakkuk, uh, to say the just shall live by faith. And But he said before that, in a little while, and the coming one will come. That is also a quote from, from Habakkuk. So the coming one will come in a little while. And when we look at chapter 12, verse 111, that is post right after chapter 11, uh, we, we know the famous verse, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And 12, verse 3 said, consider him who endured from sinners. And 12, 7 talks about, it is for disciples that discipline that we have to endure. So there is a frame of endurance that really put the chapter 11 in between that talks well. You know, I'm proposing the following theme, it's, it's a long one, that consider the endurance of the people of old, who through faith please and obey God and anticipate future blessings, even though they did not receive what was promised. They live in the hope of the promised reward. Really, the key word to, to remember here is consider or imitate or uh, imitate the persevering faith of our forefathers. Uh, because he's warning them not to leave, to go back to Judaism, not to leave the faith. And he's saying, okay, now I'm going to help you. After many, many warnings, now I'm going to help you. Look at some people that you may you already know about. Look at them as an example. And that's really the, 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 the gist, I mean, the, the aim of chapter 11. So, as I said, I'm going to walk you through the text and identify some characters and, and events that we need to model after. I'm going to kind of zoom in on one. and uh, But I also I want to argue that, I'm going to say that fourth point, that our endurance to wait for the promises of God is also achieved through the encouragement and testimony of brothers who share our faith from all generations. So we've learned I mean, this week already, I mean, yesterday, and probably today, if you attend the, uh, if you were with uh, Thomas Schreiner, he talks about that the warnings also are means for God to help us persevere. And what I'm saying here is that well, the encouragement <laughs> and uh, of other believers, the testimony of other believers are also means also for us Christians to persevere. So, now we've learned, we've read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that is, in the future. The convictions of things not seen, that is, the invisible, the intangible, the present realities of another realm. Um, faith is a reality, an end product. It's not a process. It's, it's, it's something that presents the reality now. Um, so, I kind of break down this, this chapter in this group of people in four big groups. So, uh, so they're commonly called heroes and heroines of the Bible. So the, the text is the people of old, <laughs> referring to the folks in the Old Testament. So the first group is uh, verse 4 to 6, 
Faith counted able and Enoch to please God. Two people, Enoch, I mean Abel and Enoch. Abel died and Enoch did not die. Both pleased God and were commended as righteousness. Both hoped for a reward when they either offer a sacrifice or live a life that pleased God. Abel did not get rewarded immediately after he offered. He died. He offered a sacrifice, then his brother killed him. Um, he was the first dead person of creation still waiting for that reward. After thousands and thousands of years, Abel is still waiting to see why he offered that sacrifice and why he was killed because he didn't get the reward. didn't get anything. So, similarly or conversely, uh, Enoch did not die. He went up. But this text says he's still waiting. So if heaven is the, the reward, there was no need to point him as someone who's still waiting. But Enoch is also waiting. So, and we read that, uh, follow up, the faith is a necessity, is a necessity to please God. Because without faith, you cannot please God. So the other group is Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. who Faith prompted them to act upon what they did not see and know. So Noah did not watch the, the, the weather channel or, or wait for the first drop of rain before he started building. He started to build. And Abraham did not go on a reconnaissance, reconnaissance journey or discuss with the, I don't know, the Bell Real Estate, uh, the best real estate property management or something before he goes to the country uh, of, uh, before he left Haran. He didn't even know where he was going. God said, I will show you. And he went. It's the same thing for Sarah. She did not wait to see herself pregnant to start believing that God is able to give her power to conceive. They all exercise faith by seeing events that have not happened yet. Yet, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So if we pause here a minute and examine that, that statement in reference to this group, because God promised Noah to build a boat that, so that he and his family will be saved. God kept that promise. Noah and his family were saved. So it seems that to say that Noah was not satisfied means that Noah was waiting for something else. Not just, oh, I'm the sole survivor in my family on, on planet Earth. I'm happy, you know, there's nothing else that I should really look for. Well, he understood that his salvation was only temporal. That is, he was just saved from water to earth. There is something else. He did not receive what was promised. Sarah and Abraham, the same thing. They did have a son called Isaac. It is true that they died without seeing the complete fulfillment of God's promises. But at least they lived in that promised land with Isaac and Jacob. And, uh, and, uh, but we learned that Abraham patiently waited. But, but in Hebrews 6.13, we read that Abraham waited, patiently waited, obtained the promise. That is, he obtained the promise and he still not has had obtained the promise. There was a confusion here. So that means you obtain something, whatever he obtained is not the final promise. And I mean, we had, we, we had some clues in, in, in verse 14 
because they say they, des- they seek a homeland, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Faith also prompted the patriarchs and Rahab to obey and anticipate future blessings. So that is really the part of hope for that we see the, uh, in the, the definition of, of faith. They anticipate future blessings. Abraham, by an act of obedience, offered up Isaac. Isaac, who had received the promises, that is the very person through whom God's full promise will be fulfilled. Isaac and Jacob invoke future blessings on future generations because their promises were not fulfilled in a lifetime. Joseph talked about the, his bones. Uh, that is, he gave directions, he said, you know, when you leave, take my bones with you. And, uh, but we gotta remember that during the time of Joseph, the Jews were very prosperous. It was at the end of his life, that he, he talked to his brothers, but it's really the, the Pharaoh who did not know Joseph that made the, the Jews slave. So Joseph really could be saying, you know what, I'm a successful governor, I have, you know, my family is multiplying, life is good. <laughs> but Joseph was looking for something different. You know, I, Egypt is not my hometown. I want to go back to that promised land. And uh, so he was looking forward for, 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 for this reward. And, and we can also talk about uh, Moses and his parents. They were not afraid. They preferred to disobey the king. And, and for, for Moses, we talk about enjoying. He preferred not to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sins. And why? Because he was looking for the reward. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's what our text says. So, so we see Moses and the people by faith. They obey God. They observe the Passover. They cross the Red Sea. They encircle Jericho. And they did that all by faith. And lastly, we have Rahab who obeyed by welcoming the spies. Um, and um, Rahab the prostitute. So, and the last group that we have here is really the, the, the last part of our, of our chapter that faith is the engine that enabled the judges, the kings, and the prophets, in spite of their weakness, to have great accomplishments and also failures, or suffer great afflictions. What shall we say? For time will fail to me to, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel. So, verse 32 to verse 34 it's all great accomplishments. You know, we're talking about quench power of fire. When we talk about stop the mounts of lions, when we think of, of Daniel, for instance. Uh, you know, mighty in wars, the women receive back their dead. Great. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> this is what faith accomplished. But the second part of that section talks about flogging, torture, uh, imprisonment, stone. So it seems that these two group of people are not serving the same God here. You know, one is like, woohoo, you know, they are in paradise. The other one is kind of in torment. However, the text says that all of these, though commended to their faith, did not receive what was promised. That is, on one hand, we have some that had great success. On the other hand, we have great failures. When failure is in court and success in court, of course. 
there is a con- contrast, right? But if 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 you were to if you were to define as the success criteria for war, you would say that it's victory, right? Go to war, you win. <laughs> um, so heroes who conquer kingdom will come back with plunder, right? And then we, they will bring peace. So there is nothing else to hope for after you, you put your enemies down. You said, okay, I get what I prayed God for. When I said, God, give me victory. God, answer my prayer. I'm happy. But the, the text says they did not receive what was promised. And the woman who get their boy back after, uh, 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 from the dead, that person can die <laughs> at peace because there's no greater miracle to hope for. You know, your dead is, 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 is alive again. You can be satisfied. You can die uh, uh, someone who is satisfied. So we can say in summary that faith enable our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament to please and obey God and to listen to uh, to and to ex- to hope for uh, uh, the uh, promised reward. So, when you listen to these witnesses, what are they telling us is that you, we need to wait like them because they did not obtain what they promised, what God promised them. So that is the patriarchs are waiting, the judges, the kings, the prophets, they are all waiting. And it's been a long, long time. So you're thinking about your prayers that have not been answered. That's been a long time. Guess what? There are people who have been like for years have been waiting and they continue to wait. And that begs the question. So what is that was promised and why it is so important? It's obviously Jesus, right? I mean, we all here will say, yes, it's Jesus. Because Jesus... The fulfillment of the promises of God. Christ is our hope, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.1. The text itself pointed that out, right? Because in verse 27, we read that, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. Him, that is Jesus. And chapter 11 ended with a note that these witnesses should not be made perfect. But in chapter 12, verse 2, we read that Jesus is the perfecter of, the, of our faith. So that means the one that we were waiting for is Jesus. The one that they were waiting for is Jesus. And yet in a little while, we read in chapter 10, verse 36, the coming one will come. The coming one, referring to Jesus. So we can even take every single character and even in our text as a type of Christ or the salvation that he provided. Take every any any person in, in the text that we just read, or the, the the Red Sea, the flood. It's a type of Christ or the salvation that he provided. So when we read when we read that the blood of Abel still speaks, well the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. That's what we read in Hebrews twelve twenty four. So Abel is a type of Christ. The flood and the crossing of the Red Sea prefigure our salvation and the judgment of the unbelievers. I mean, if you do biblical theology, if you know how to preach Christ of the Old Testament, it's an easy mapping. I mean, it's not, you don't have to really wrestle, I mean, a lot to find that out. The judges scream even, 
scream for a deliverer because, as you know, the judges came from different corners of Israel. When once they die here, another pops up there, and then you know they're all, all fighting through their lifetime. Then came David, wiped everybody up, and says, "Okay, now there is peace in Israel." So with David, it is the deliverer that the people of Israel was hope, waiting for. That's why Solomon came. No war. <laughs> everybody sat down on their their, their fig tree. You know, ah, but David was what the judges were waiting for, but David died. So the people of Israel is waiting for a bigger David, a, a better David, which is Jesus Christ. I mean, they are all screaming that Jesus, I mean, we know that, we know David is a, is a type of Christ, but the, That's not the emphasis of our text here. I, I, I don't want to. I mean, I want to bring that up, but this is not. This text is not about trying to take these people here and try to point to Christ, because the author's aim is different. Because the apostle is calling the Hebrews to consider the endurance of these people here, because they please God and they anticipate future blessings. So even though they did not receive it, the apostle is want to encourage them. Okay, listen. Look at these guys. He didn't say look at Jesus. He said look at these guys. What strikes me in chapter 11, <laughs> what really strikes me is that the book, the first 10 chapters, is about making a case about Jesus being better than. I mean, you read it, you say that Jesus is better than everybody and everything else in the Old Testament. Then the author will go back to the Old Testament to bring some I mean, let's be honest, not that questionable, <laughs> morally or spiritual deficient so-called heroes, and ask us to look at them. <laughs> so after he made the case to say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, consider Jesus, now consider these guys? It's like, why? I mean, why do you, if we were to, if we were to, to choose people that we want to look at, who not look at Jephthah? I mean, I mean, come on. This Samson is. These are not our heroes that we will look or, or, that we will take uh, as role model. And I'm sure that there are several of these passages that we are not able to teach, or we have a hard time to teach in our Sunday school classes. The author could have easily replaced chapter 11 with chapter 12, verse 3. Easily could just say, like, look at chapter 12, verse 3. Said. Consider him who endured from sinners. Okay? You want to endure? Follow Jesus. Consider him. I mean, it's easy. Just follow Jesus. Or even go back to chapter 12, verse 2. He said, well, he endured the cross. I mean, the last part of, the, of chapter 2. Just consider Jesus. It's easy. Why bother bringing other people that we consider really weak people to, to model? Well, I want to argue that, again, the endurance of the saints is also achieved through the encouragement and the testimony of brothers who share our faith from all of our, all generations. Our endurance is not only bound to Jesus, but our endurance is also linked to the, uh, the testimony of our fellow believers. So, I just want to look at some verses again here. Is that... In chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In chapter 12, verse 12 through 13, said, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight, straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out or of joint, but rather be healed. This is revival language. It's like, okay, you want to run the race? <laughs> Come on. Strengthen these hands, knees. You know, I need to just kind of like stand up. You know, it's a pep talk here. <laughs> you know, like, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. But he said that after, when you look at these guys, you need to continue to start running the race. So, it's important as we're looking in the New Testament, when we find Old Testament, because we are, I mean, as biblical theologians, we do well, like, looking, I mean, finding Christ in the Old Testament. We know going from here to there. But in a text like this, what it's telling us is just from the New Testament, go back to the Old Testament and consider these guys on their own, not just like a pointer to, to Christ, but really looking at their testimony. So I wanna, I'm going to take, for instance, um, Joseph. Let's, let's look at, the, the, let's look at the, the story of Joseph. But we're going to do that from several, several different lenses. Um, that is, we're going to look at Joseph, uh, just as an example, it's a chapter, Genesis chapter 37 and, 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 and 39. Uh, 38 is about Judah and, and Tamar, so there is no reference to Joseph there. Um, so, we've learned that, if you, if you look at, let's say, I mean, I'm just using words here, like house, for instance, like Joseph moving from one house to another. Okay? Just Joseph, because if you want to be encouraged, you can take the story of Joseph and be encouraged by that. Okay, that's what the author is saying. You know, Joseph lived by faith. Why? How did he live by faith? Let's take an example here. Joseph moved from his father's house as the beloved son to a pit. <clears throat> from a pit to Potiphar's house. From Potiphar's house to another pit. To prison. Because house and pit is the same word. And prison is the same word as house. So it's from, like moving from one place to another. Why? I mean, some people describe the, the prison as, you know, uh, I don't know, they are like blue I mean, white color, you know, prison. But Joseph described that himself as a pit. <laughs> so I would say that he, he moved from, uh, from Potiphar's house to, to a pit. Then if you look at from Joseph's garment's perspective, he used to wear a coat of many colors. And he got stripped from it. And he ended up using slave clothes. Then he went from a low-class slave to become like the the prime minister of 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 uh, of garments that reflects his high position, right? He got stripped from his clothes again because Potiphar's ripped out that clothes that was on him, and he ended up again putting clothes, another prisoner clothes on himself. So. And yet, there's another lie about Joseph's clothes. <laughs> his brother that lied about his clothes, but the first wife lied about his, his clothes again. Let's take hands. Hands symbolize power, right, in, in our story. 
So he moved from the hands of his brothers to the hands of the Ishmaelites. I mean, these are all words that we will find in the stories, 37 and 39. Uh, moved from the hands of his brothers to the hands of the Ishmaelites. From the hands of these Ishmaelites to the hands of Potiphar. Because Potiphar put everything under his hand that is in charge. That is, he's no longer under anybody's hands anymore. Now he's over everybody, right? Then he fell under the, Potiphar, under the Potiphar's wise hands and Potiphar's angry hands, which led him under the hands of the chief jailer. He went from exaltation to humiliation. He was elevated early as the favored son. Then he was considered dead at the end of the chapter. Because being in a pit is really considered dead, basically. He was elevated high at the beginning of chapter 39 and to be thrown into a pit at the end. Um, so, we thought if we would look at how he helped others, he went to care for his brothers and he, they tried to kill him. He served his master well. Then it's just that they throw him into uh, a jail after that. So, he's, if you look at from people's perspective, the way that people interact with Joseph, is that his brother saw a brother to get rid of and to profit from. The Ishmaelites saw Joseph as a slave to profit from. Potiphar saw Joseph as someone to take advantage of and to make him rich. Potiphar's wife saw him as a handsome man who could give her pleasure. And Joseph did not have anybody looking after his own interests. Regardless of the angle that you look at the story, it is tragic. All the odds were against him. He was away from home. And he became a slave without the home, the hope of returning home. All he had were two dreams. That's all he 17 years old, two dreams. Nothing. Nothing else. When these dreams would be realized. Had no idea. That's all he had. He's going through all of this. Two dreams. This is why, and that is why we read that the, the, the narrator repeatedly make it clear in that text, chapter 39, that God was with Joseph to help him through many trials. So there was an intensity of about God's presence and God's reference in chapter 39 that we don't see in the previous chapters. Because we read, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all of that. He succeeded in his hands. From the time that he made him overseer, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. The blessing of the Lord. It was repeated. The Lord, the Lord. And the Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. And lastly, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to, to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So the narrator wanted to spare us readers today spares the question, where is God? Because if he didn't really put all of these, the Lord's references, we said, what do I mean? Why did God let allow all of these things? It's just for us. He said, okay, wait, wait. We know that things are really, really bad, but guess what? I am with Joseph. Okay, that's why the Lord is repeated so many times because he, we, because he's screaming, okay, God, when are you going to fulfill Joseph's dreams. So in intense situations, when God's children are in distress and need a particular kindness, God makes his presence known. 
While Jacob's love for his beloved son could not protect him, but the steadfast love of God, who controlled all circumstances, sustained Joseph firm in his faith. So Genesis 39 was written for us, too. We can all relate to this story. We can sympathize with Joseph before we get to Jesus. That is, we're going to take this, 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 this passage here and point that you know, Jesus is the real Joseph who will bless you know, all nations, not just Potiphar's so house. But before we get there, we can take the time to sympathize, you know, as to, to be pastoral in the way that we present the gospel. Now, when someone meets with us, talking to us about their situation, we don't say, well, um, how are you doing? Uh, fine. You said you understand. You're not saying Jesus understands. You, you, you hear. I mean, there is a conversation here, you know. You, you don't point people to Jesus automatically. You're here to sympathize as well. So this is for us too, uh, here. So, I mean, I can take time to, uh, well, I'm not going to do that. I want to leave time for question and discussion. I mean, I have several points of how the story of Joseph, uh, how we can point to Christ through the story of Joseph. But again, that will be deviating from even the, the aim of the text. So, I mean, I'm not just going to skip that and, and not talk about how, how we can point to, to Christ here. But I want to go, 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 go back to, uh, to the uh, passage in Hebrews, again, Hebrews 11. So, if you want to remember that the author wants to encourage those who are to, uh, who are afflicted. They want to encourage them to endure. So, the accomplishments are examples to follow. So, again, the people in our text are not Marvel superheroes. <laughs> you know, they are far from, from being, uh, I mean, in fact, they, it's, it's a really shocking list. And, uh, and what we have, we have you know, man, every single judge that I think we men- that mentioned here is either morally or spiritually deficient. Um, and uh, I've talked about Jephthah who sacrificed her daughter. I, I don't know how you, you can do something like that. You know, we have Gideon who didn't believe God. <laughs> Just, um, you know, a fleece here, you know, like, it's like Gideon is not the, the example of faith that we would put here as a reference. Uh, then we have Rahab, uh, Rahab the prostitute, um, even listed here as Rahab the prostitute. So, Rahab the prostitute will be welcome in heaven. <laughs> so, I don't know if you will want to have a ministry called Rahab the prostitute ministry. <laughs> um, but if you think about how the Bible continuously repeated or referred to Rahab the prostitute, you could really say that the Bible doesn't really, it's not a shame to say Rahab the prostitute. Yeah. You know, it's just claiming, if you want to learn about Rahab the prostitute, well, it's, it's like, how do you, how would you want to be remembered through generations that, you know, Rahab the prostitute, you know, that's the ministry of Rahab the prostitute. I mean, that's what the Bible is saying here with Rahab. He, like Jesus, was not also ashamed to have the, the nails on his hands. I mean, he died, that's for sure. He was, I mean, that's the reality of, 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 of the Christian life. Um, but, you know, I mean, on the side notes here, you know, if we have the prostitute was in one of our churches, well, he would be restricted in doing so many things <laughs> in our churches today. Because whether the government says this or that, you know, we will probably, I mean, okay, we will have her in the choir or something, but 
you know, with a background, <laughs> you know, we got to, but we don't realize who we have the prostitute is, <laughs> you know, this is somebody that the Bible puts here in our face, in the line of Jesus, you know, to really say that, you know, something happened to that woman. Like maybe, Paul said, maybe we need to do ministry by faith. That is, waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Like everybody else, including Jesus, who is waiting for his enemies at his footstool. The people of God that we minister to are work in progress. They're not there yet. They're not there yet. John, 1 John 2, 2, 3 tells us that, Beloved, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in, in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the brothers and sisters that are sitting by in the church every day, they are work in progress. We have a tendency of looking for perfection, looking for the best, hoping for heroes who really are, are successful in ministry, successful in evangelism. I mean, everything we see like the better part of, you know, God's promises. But we don't know. We don't know God's plan. <laughs> like, if God can name these people as heroes because of the little faith to doing one thing that God asked them, Maybe we should rejoice like the Apostle Paul to say when he wrote to the Thessalonians, when we wrote to the Philippians, to say, I constantly praise God for you, for your faith. Six weeks, you know, they were like children in the faith. They were not spiritually mature. How long did Paul prosper in Thessalonians? I mean, we were like three weeks and three Sabbath, maybe six months. I mean, they, were, they, they were, didn't have a theology background. They, were not, they didn't have any PhD. I mean, they didn't have a lot of Sunday school classes. <laughs> they are like young children. But I rejoice. Why? Because Paul saw what is not visible yet, what needs to be revealed. That is, the people that we are, that we call brothers, once we believe in faith that they are Christians, we rejoice. We, we, we see who they will be in heaven with Christ. Christ return, not who they are in their sins. The people in your church that is give troubling trouble rejoice because they will be transformed one day. But we are people who really do not live with present realities. So our, our interaction among, among ourselves for our frustrations or like okay, things do not happen as fast as we expected, it's based on all of that because we have short vision. The realities are not there yet. If Christ is waiting, we can wait for his return because what we've read is that his promise will be fulfilled. He will make perfect those who come to him. And, 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 and I want to add, add this. Like if, if you think of, if you take like the, the first Thessalonians uh, uh, book here and you see that how Paul, after he, he taught the Thessalonians, he's He's like eager to, to, to go see them and he could not see them. He, he did everything that he could. He couldn't see them. But you wonder why did he bother? Because at the beginning of the chapter he said, I know that you're elect. <laughs> I know that you've been chosen by God. That means, hey, I, I have nothing to do because you're already chosen. Why do I worry about you staying in the faith? 
But Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I prefer to stay alone to encourage you in the faith. But is, he knows that the encouragement of the saints are, is also means for their uh, perseverance. Okay. Jesus saved us, but he's still interceding for us. Where the Father? Why? He saved us. He knows that we're not going to lose our salvation. Why bother? But he's interceding for us. So our responsibility is to do this to the brother and encourage one another in the faith. That's really the means God has provided to his church. That's why I believe Paul, Paul said the same thing. You know, to encourage one another. To, 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 we need to encourage one another in the faith. So in running the race, the apostle points the Hebrews to both. Like the believers and Jesus. Okay. We need we encourage by 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 both groups, the believers and Jesus. So I will really encourage you to let us run also run the race with endurance, stirring up one another to love and good works while waiting for the return of the Lord and Savior of all saints, our Savior Jesus Christ.